Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diaspora Collective podcast. My name is Abba and today I'm joined by... Bilali. Dominique. And Mel. During this episode, we'll be discussing microaggressions and their effect on the Black community in light of the recent Love Island controversy surrounding Yawande Biala and Lucy. So guys, how are we doing? We're good. We're alive. We are 27 days in. and We're 27 days in the big, brother. (laughs) (laughs) It does kind of feel like that. It does kind of feel like that. Where it feels like we're in Sims and that like... Of course you're going to relate to Sims. Yeah, literally. (laughs) I want EA to sponsor us. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if like the next step of this COVID is um, being in that dome, like they said in the Simpsons um, film. Oh my God. In a way, would that be all right? Like, I feel like I wouldn't actually mind it too much. I could like (laughs) stop being jealous of people being on holiday. We'd all actually be in it together. I can deal with that. How do you guys feel talking about holiday? How do you guys feel about that GMTV interview about <laughs> the, girl, the the influencer who said that her going to Dubai is essential work? I think the worst <laughs> thing about that interview was the editing team was so shady. Like she was talking about like, oh, how I motivate people. Like you'll see all my content is motivated. And then the, they just cut scenes to her like riding a camel, like on the thing. <laughs> and then she was like, you know, I just go outside to work out. And then the editor was like, Cut scenes her sitting by a pool in a bikini. I was like, you guys are so shady. Um, even they know it's not serious. Like, I think if you're free, you could phrase it very differently in terms of like what people are having to do during lockdown, probably like for their own income and stuff like that from a different point of view. But to say like they're an essential worker, I just think it's like all mm. the people who are essential workers, and it's not even like necessarily just in the NHS, but like teachers, like people who are even working. Um, like service workers and stuff like that like they are people who are do who are doing essential work as well and someone who's been able to fly off to dubai when travel is also a bit of a no-no unless it's legal um mm. i think we all want to go on holiday don't we yeah. Yeah. Like, not, let's be honest not now human, when yeah. the country's under strain yeah. let's also not lie the- like i'll be it's human nature like if you give people the opportunity they'll take it also, their job is like to sell dreams. Mm, like, do you know what I mean? Like, they're literally <laughs> the job is to sell dreams. So, like, they're just doing their job. Yeah, <laughs> that they're able so, to do. I just want to know why Dubai is letting everybody in, like, especially from the UK. Like, we oh, they've said no yeah. more. They've said no more. We're not allowed in anymore. Oh. Christ. Well, at least they got a good whilst they could, I suppose. To be honest, they yeah, took the opportunity. Fair, took they time. truly ran with it. <laughs> From when, like, Tion Wayne and, like, anyone were fighting on that easy jet flight. <laughs> yeah, like, they're still letting us in. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, on the topic of influencers, um, if you guys have been, I don't know, is it, like, main news? I feel like it, maybe on like social media. current, news. like, pop culture yeah. news, right? Yeah, like, current pop culture type, yeah, news. Um, there has been resurfacing, not even resurfacing, but kind of, in a way, where there was a article published by... I feel like it was the sun, so it's not like a viable place, but, you know, the evidence was backed up. Um, that Lucy had stated that Yawande Biala, um, one of the two cont- the two contestants from Love Island from, what year was it now, guys? I don't remember, was it 2019? I feel like 2018. 
18. Whichever year it was. Um, that it had come out that Lucy had stated that Yawande was a bully. Um, and then Yawande just threw all the receipts out and was like, you literally wouldn't pronounce my name for correctly for three weeks. So that was obviously going on to the topic of microaggressions, which is what we're going to speak on today. Um, before we kind of go, we delve into it and talk more into detail, we just want to give a quick um, definition of what a microaggression is. So to give more insight into what a microaggression is, Microaggressions are subtle, commonplace and daily verbal, behavioural or environmental expressions that communicate hostile, derogatory or negative racial inferences and insults towards people of colour. They can come in the form of jokes, mispronouncing names and stereotyping, to name but a few. So obviously the whole Yuande and Lucy controversy kind of just highlighted that and was just another strand of a microaggression that had only really come to light in recent times but I feel like I mean what do you guys think what you what are your guys thoughts on what has come about I don't think it's uh what I'm trying to say is like it's not a one-off experience I'm sure that we've got several different stories of people not pronouncing our names or not even calling us by by our actual names um given names I literally have like a folder on my phone of like all the screenshots where like for work people have typed my name out and it's just not spelled correctly and it's like it's not hard it's in my signature it's in the email itself it's kind of like I can't even bother to like spell your name properly even though it's right in front of me it's like this lack of care but yeah it did bring up a lot of stuff for me um because like I've had a lot of experiences related to my name. What about you guys? I'm the same, Dom. I think what was like so sad was just firstly Yuande's reaction because it's like you could just tell like how shocked she was at the fact that she was being labelled um, as a bully when I'm sure and I think I think someone had said it on Twitter like Yuande literally could have come out of the villa and spoken about all of this could have easily dashed her under the bus and been like oh look you 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 couldn't even be bothered to pronounce my name correctly all of this was happening but you know she she kept it mature she kept it cute you know not giving energy to that type of thing and then this comes out and it's just I could only imagine her frustration like Dom said I think all of us have gone through situations where people just can't be bothered to like either learn the name properly spell it correctly and don't get me wrong mistakes happen um I'm not trying to act as if you know people don't make mistakes but I think it's when it's like very consistent it's very clear when people can't be bothered to learn your name or you know understand the reason why your name is pronounced a certain way or especially when you tell them multiple times so if it's a case where they've never met you before they don't know how to say your name you can probably forgive that but then when it's something that's said over and over again and it's the same mistake I just think that that's just you not you just can't be bothered to be respectful for the name that my parents have given me um for me personally, I think I've had it before when um, people don't necessarily know where I'm from. So they just assume that I'm Nigerian and it's not, there's, that's not to throw shade to like any Nigerian people. Like it's not that I think, but you know, people assume that I'm from Nigeria and they'll be like, oh, like what's your name short for? And I'll be like, oh, my name's not short for anything. Like my name's Abba. Um, they'll be like, oh, like obviously like no, it's not, it can't just be Abba. And I'm like, but it is you know and it's just that type of irritation where people assume they can tell you about what 
like what your name is and stuff like that and even when I try to explain that I'll be like oh no I think you might think that I'm Nigerian so like with Nigerian people like they tend to have like longer names and they may shorten it and they'll be like oh yeah but I thought your name was like Olua Abba and I was like no and secondly not all Nigerian people's names are that like that's not always necessarily what their name is short for so for you to make that assumption is not correct um I've even had patients before where they'll say stuff like oh we didn't know the patient's name but I assume it's probably something like really long because they're from Sri Lanka and I'm like again even if it's 99% there might be the 1% that isn't like you just can't be making assumptions I think I just don't like it when people like to make assumptions they don't like to make the effort to understand or get to know like not even necessarily getting to know your culture but getting to know like you and just the simpleness of not realizing that the mispronunciation of your name or not being bothered to say your name can be actually quite detrimental to some people like to me I get to the point where I'm like whatever like it's embarrassing if you can't you can't spell my name with one b because it's spelled with one b and you just consistently spell it with two b's whatever yeah I completely agree with you and I think um also the the thing that was like I felt really frustrated for her for was when this when the son reported on the story they spelt her name wrong again and it's like this whole debacle is about like the issue with um not like naming people with non-western names correctly and in the title Mm. of the article you are still going to make a mistake in her name so I think that just really framed it for me um and I think the whole the whole thing with like Uh, renaming I don't think people who do that like so automatically when they hear a name that's non-western they automatically want to offer to call you something else how like awful that is to your identity like this Mm -hmm. is my name my parents gave it to me within names um within culture there's so much legacy for you to feel comfortable that you have the entitlement to then push all that aside and make your own name for me like are you mad can you imagine Mm -hmm. and I think like it's not just the fact she was mispronouncing her name but like saying to her can I call you why bruv no you can't I have a name I've told you what it is and after three weeks you still can't make the effort to say it properly and then that's when you guys are right it gets into a point where for us we're like well are these people doing it on purpose like they just generally don't think we're important enough to learn the pronunciation of our name so it runs really deep to be honest um there was this tweet by Nati Kasambala and it was like names are integral to a person's identity and when you dismiss diminish or disrespect them you're violating their personhood fine but like she like mary has made the decision to preserve her birth given name for specific people it is important for people to understand the impact of this name based microaggression assigning unwanted nicknames to others it can feel very invalidating to the person that you don't care to acknowledge who they are it can bring about feelings of shame and embarrassment that the name has inconvenienced you in some way and i think that just like sums Sums up. up Yeah. And I think that's such a good quote you read because I think Yuande's response to like that the to the whole um situation that he post she posted on her Instagram was very much that. Um so it is not like an, an uncommon experience, unfortunately, for people, not just black people, but people with non-white non I want to say white because it feels like if you don't have like a typical white person's name, then your name is seen as weird. So, but like non-Western names, essentially, 
um, for that to happen. I think it is important to note that it's um, it's not the same as I think when you're with your when you're with people who shorten your name because you've said that they can call you that, for example. So like certain nicknames, like for example, sometimes I guess you would hear us talking to each other and being like Mel, Dom, Del, Abs. Like that's not we're shortening each other's names because we can't be bothered to say it. It's because we have so many, we have like this whole, all these years of like friendship that that's where it's come about. So it's not been at, because of an attempt of not being able to, or not wanting to say somebody's name. And I think that's really important to like know the difference. Like if you're friends with someone and like, you know you guys are like that you have that rapport that's different to deciding that oh actually because I don't know it and I can't say your name I'm just gonna shorten it I think that's a really good point Abba and like what you're picking up on or the way that I perceive what you're trying to like the point that you're trying to get at is like it's to do with power like a power dynamic or and like renaming practices are like they're still Obviously, they're like viewed as microaggressions now, but they have deep roots in legacy and slavery in renaming um, like black bodies um, and that loss of identity. And I know we think like slavery is such a long um, like time ago, but I think it's still something that's worth kind of touching upon because it's not being sensitive for being sensitive sake. Like there is a history and a legacy in this. And I think that's quite important to point out obviously we're talking about a very it's still a really awful situation but we're talking about it in the place of like the media and stuff but it does happen in politics it happens in the workplace it happens in school where people are actively trying to destabilize people's access to power or come across as more powerful through stuff like renaming so it's not just like a casual offhand social um experience or like a socialization like there's purposes behind it you know when people talk a lot about pronouncing and pronouncing names and pronouncing correctly and they always love to use the example of oh if you can say Tchaikovsky and if you can say like all these like names or like even um with certain names like you know they love to use the example of like Siobhan and how it's not spelt the way it's pronounced but you know you remember it because you remember that it's spelt a certain way and you actually say it a different way um I thought it was quite interesting because I was thinking about it today, how I feel like with those examples, because it's said so often and people actively are not practicing, but actively remember how to say a certain thing. um, They do remember they don't make those mistakes. Whereas when it comes to certain people who don't have typical Western names, why is it that that same energy is not used? So I can understand with certain names, sometimes you generally just can't say it properly sometimes you have to hear someone say over and over before you remember but I feel like with a lot of non-western names that's not the case so people they don't make the effort to want to know how to say it they don't make the effort to remember how to say it and if they don't they don't ask to be like oh actually can you tell me how to properly pronounce your name so I'm not saying it incorrectly I think what like what it boils down to is we talk about microaggressions a lot but like I was thinking about the fact that I don't like I, I don't actually think microaggressions are micro and I don't know one microaggression I wanted to ask you guys obviously there's so many different forms of microaggressions we spoke about some of them about things like jokes about things like going to places and somebody serving someone before you if they're white and you're black of you know there's just so many extremes of people like touching your hair invading your private space um 
But for me, I think we kind of need to move away from microaggressions being like micro or like unconscious or tiny acts because there's something about that that can be more destabilizing than explicit racism. For me, when I face like a microaggression, it can kind of be like, you feel like a bit gaslighted, like, hmm, like, did that really happen? And even like you one day taking the time to speak out about something that happened two years ago, it can literally be that long of you figuring out that you've experienced a microaggression Mm -hmm. and during that period, experiencing a lot of stress and a lot of Mm self-doubt about the experience of racism that you faced. So to me, like the fact that we call them microaggressions, I get it because it's supposed to capture the fact that they can be subconscious and they're not necessarily always explicit. And in some cases it can be well mentioned and well, like well-intentioned, like it can come from ignorance, but I don't think the impact is micro. And I think that's something that we need to start getting people to really understand. Mm -hmm. The stuff that's happened to me, that's like really made me question my reality like you mentioned gaslighting I was like oh is yeah. it is it because is it because I was just there or is it because I'm black or is it because I'm the, the youngest person in the room or like it really makes you question your reality yeah. in a way that's like obviously not catastrophizing a specific situation but you this is something that I had brought up with a mentor and she basically told me about uh, double consciousness um so this was a term that was like first published by w.e.b dubois uh, in the work uh the souls of black folk in 1903 and it's basically a term where you are always looking at yourself through the eyes of a racist white society and measuring oneself by the means of a nation that looks back at like in contempt um so the way that I view that is like I'm not only seeing myself through my own eyes but I'm viewing myself in the situation that I was put in yeah. through like westernized like the western lens or lens or the european lens and being like okay well because I'm black I'm going to be viewed as x y and z and those specific views are probably most likely linked to stereotypes about mm-hmm. black women mm-hmm. so yeah yeah it's this yeah it's destabilizing it is and I think you're right because even if you experience a microaggression there's experiencing it and then like you said there's experiencing it within the framework framework of whiteness and those the situation that you're in so being like I can't even probably talk about this if I wanted to, because if Mm -hmm. I bring it up, then that's a whole nother trigger of other Mm -hmm. stereotypes and stuff that are going to be laid upon me. So you have to deal with the situation, but then you also have to deal with like the fallout of the situation in terms of how you express that experience of a microaggression. So it's all, I think it is really destabilizing. Like it creates a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stress for uh, black people or people of color who experience microaggressions so I just don't think it's sufficient um, to label them as like oh it was kind of a mistake they didn't mean it things like that because the legacy of that act can be so violent um, and can be so traumatic. I feel like as well it's like harder to speak up sometimes they can be so underhand you feel like you're almost being over dramatic by bringing mm. it up and then if you do bring it up, it's like, well, she's just the angry black woman all over again, mm-hmm. which like Del was saying, just brings on a new onslaught of other microaggressions. Uh, I saw this thing on TED where they were talking about 
microaggressions and how we should view them and how we should also tackle them. And they were saying that you can kind of categorize them as a death by a thousand cuts. So one tiny paper cut isn't going to, if there's accumulation of comments, it does take a toll on someone's well-being and it does hurt them eventually. So even though one tiny joke might not feel like a big of a deal at the time, in the grand scheme of things, many, many of those comments over so many years is going to cause so much damage to somebody. Even like we were saying about you one day, she still remembers those comments from two years ago. And I feel like something you just kind of just highlight the damage that was caused by that one experience. And that is, I doubt, is her only experience as a black girl living in England. And she's from Ireland originally, right? So I can imagine yeah. that being bad as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it kind of does amplify how important just each comment is to that person. And we just kind of have to be really wary of not doing that because it does point out a cultural difference and mm-hmm. not in a positive light at all, in a negative light. I think, like, the um, first time someone, like, spelt my name wrong, I just ignored it. But now I'm literally, like, if I get, like, mm-hmm. Kieran or Dominic, I'm like, my name is Dominique. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. So I'd appreciate it if you spell my name correctly. Like, the fact that I have to take time out of my day to write that sentence is, like, that's the thing with racism. It's just, like, so tough. And, like, yeah, racism and sexism, it's just, like, takes time out of your day like Mm -hmm. you have to take time to protest Mm. you have to take time to correct people you have to take time to educate people you have to take time to educate yourself also those instances at work I feel they really bring on a sense of imposter syndrome especially as I know you Dominique you work in kind of a white male orientated workplace just like me Mm -hmm. and it just makes you feel like an outsider straight away you feel othered immediately even if it is just over email the importance of that you just can't really minimize and I think like it goes back to like wh- what we're trying to say about like the impact of microaggressions microaggressions don't exist by accident the same way racism doesn't exist by accident right they it fulfills an active purpose um and the purpose is to uphold white supremacy and and it's a subconscious behavior that's built into people you might not you might not actively be um like putting out microaggressions but that is built into you because we're all socialized by racism and like Mel said the function it provides are things like othering it provides like a function of making black people and people of color second guess their value in society like the the meetings I've been into and people have been like oh you're so articulate and you're like you know the end of that sentence is you're so articulate for a black girl Mm, and it makes you feel like oh okay so the expectation of me entering this space is as a black woman they don't expect me to be articulate that makes that makes me feel undermined in my identity so this whole thing of like people might not partake in um microaggressions consciously doesn't make them any less important in terms of the function of upholding racism they provide a massive function for racism. So like with with the thing with Lucy, the comments, people just being like, it's not a big deal. She just said her name wrong. It doesn't matter. And it's like, people just don't actually realize when they are being racist and how different forms of racism have been built for you to, you to be racist and you're not even knowing that you're 
you're being racist and that it's having that much of an impact in terms of the power structure in society I think that's a really like that's really touching on something that I was thinking about um which is two things like microaggressions and their relationship to stereotypes like racist stereotypes um yeah for sure I don't really know how to unpack that just yet but the other point that I was trying to make was about misogynoir coined by Moya Bailey um, was developed to describe the specific hatred, dislike, distrust and prejudice directed towards black women. So this is like this um, distrust in you one day saying that what Lucy said was a microaggression. Mm-hmm. Um, it also like basically describes how black women and girls who share experiences of abuse and trauma um, as well as assault are largely shunned, criticized or ignored. These experiences are questioned, scrutinized and dissected more than any other group. So it's like there's no protection essentially or like validation of certain experiences, especially when things are framed as jokes. Mm -hmm. Um, Jokes or accidents. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And really, your point is about stereotypes is so important because I think often microaggressions are rooted in like complete misconceptions about people from specific identities. And they're like, for example, the thing about um, you're so articulate, it's a misconception that black people don't know how to articulate themselves, right? Like even the jokes that people make about the capacity of things that black people have to have, have to do, like swimming, like that is a microaggression that is based in misconceptions about the capabilities of black people, plus other things to do with slavery that Dominique could probably yeah. tell you about one time when we talk about <laughs> stuff like that, about I think- things that apparently black people can't do. But it is yeah. it's rooted in stereotypes and misconceptions to create othering, to create difference mm. and to undermine black people. That's the function that like- microaggression serve. I was like, isn't that whole education point, isn't that the legacy of slavery? Because enslaved people weren't educated. They weren't taught how to read or write. They weren't taught how to be articulate. So the fact that you think that I'm articulate just because I'm black and like have the audacity to actually say it to my face rather than just keep the thought inside your brain is just like, yeah, oh. Uh, <laughs> like getting heated <laughs> the steam coming out of her ears guys <laughs> I just want to quickly say that uh, linking to Dom's point about people not believing you one day people didn't really believe her until Amber Gill a light skinned mixed race woman yeah. and what's that other girl Amy a Amy white woman Hart. came out mm. and supported her people weren't really behind her and I feel like everyone's obviously believing her now and really in her corner but that's really important to know that a dark skinned black woman is still not being believed until lighter skinned people kind of stand up for her. Definitely. And also this isn't the first instance of people um, like mispronouncing her name to be like, like to be implicitly racist. I don't know when you guys first, if you guys remember when her season was on, there was like Rikard and some of the other guys from a previous season, they were out for like drinks and they were all sat together and they were like, oh, that, that, you woo girl, that, like, blah, blah, blah. And they were all laughing. And I was like, this is racist as hell. But also it's so disappointing that like, everyone knows representation in Love Island 
was shocking up until about recently like were you ever going to see a black person and if you were it was going to be a black man probably um and then it took them a while to move towards having like uh mixed race girls or Mm -hmm. light-skinned black girls to having dark-skinned girls and you one day was one of like the really first big pictures of representation for dark-skinned women on love island also with a name from her country of origin. And I was like, it's just, it's really disappointing that the first time you get that representation, it's attached to all of these like instances that are happening. I think that's the issue related to being a black person in a historically or dominantly white space Mm -hmm. is it always comes with like, we've spoken about the burden of being the first. Yeah. Your one day's burden of being the first was the sad bittersweetness of being the first it's like yes I'm the first dark skin girl on like a majority white like tv program but oh shit I'm like the first dark like the onslaught of like racial mm-hmm. racist comments and microaggressions that she probably had to face in that villa like this is also like an experience that we've spoken about like getting ready together like you can't just like share makeup or like (laughs) you know use someone's edge control like she must have felt so isolated in that setting as well and that's something that we probably didn't see um Mm -hmm. but I think it's still important to acknowledge even like you were saying about like the edge control scene and like we giggled and stuff but it's actually so true because it was like it's like it was almost like who did she have and I remember she did say a tweet or she may have said it in a video and there's she said that there's so much that you don't see so Mm -hmm. imagine if that's what we saw the amount that probably happened behind closed doors as well stuff that wasn't aired and I just think to myself that like what Dom was saying in terms of like having that burden of being like the first like dark-skinned woman rather than it being something that should be celebrated and something that she should be so proud of and something that she can be like you know what I'm here being my authentic self and you know loving myself for it it, there were just so many negative connotations that came with it that it's like she couldn't even embrace that and like you guys were saying earlier a whole two years after and she's still having to deal with the repercussions of it not even any form of positive light like even when she was in there being labeled as difficult being labeled as like the angry black girl being labeled as x y and z everything other than because of what was happening and surrounding and how everyone else would have acted in that situation Mm -hmm. so gut-wrenching but you know I guess it it does come from the concepts of like femininity that are based on race, right? So to to do with fragility and when people feel the need to step in and save women is, is there's a color scale to it. Like let's not all lie. Like that you, you are viewed as softer and more victim if you are lighter and predominantly if you're darker, there's just an expectation that you just get on and you deal with stuff because that's how things are built from colonialism um, and the whole like concept of white femininity and all of those things. But I think like Mel said, it was really disappointing within like how much had to come from Amber and other people to to make people take it seriously kind of thing. So I don't know. I think my point is just there's more work people need to do to understand racism. To me, this has just made me realise how much people don't understand racism. I think because we all we all experience microaggressions on a regular basis. We really get what they are and um, how they function and how they impact us. But to me, it was just like so shocking to how many people who didn't think that was racist. Like, how can you not think that's racist? And that's what was most shocking to me. 
it's very typical of I think a lot of people to even if you let's say let's take this like just as a general point how someone is telling you how they feel about a situation and you're basically saying that their feelings are valid because you can't relate to it and I think that it's it's ridiculous that one it's probably already hard enough for your one day two because even I remember the circumstances of how she left Love Island was obviously not even in a positive Mm, you mm -hmm. know light so then also all of this being brought up she's probably got so much more to say and then people who watch her for an hour a day six days a week are saying you can't feel that way because it wasn't even a big deal but are not thinking to themselves okay if you put yourself in that situation and something that's so important to you like your name and someone can't say it they can't comprehend that because you live in a country where your name is very easy to pronounce or people just know how to say it you go to a country where your name is not common and they constantly say your name wrong every single day every single conversation (laughs) I guarantee it will play a toll on you I don't think it should have to take someone to be like oh imagine being in their shoes and how it would Mm -hmm. feel it should be a case of okay I'm listening to how you feel and why you feel that way and I want to understand why that was the case so I know what it feels like to be in that well not even what it feels like to be in that situation but I can actually like you know rally around you and be like you know what that wasn't right that wasn't fair Mm -hmm. I think that's basically outlining the fact that like as a black person you experience race as someone who is not a Sorry, I'm just trying to use language that isn't white centering, and I'm finding it really hard to what even a surprise. structure a sentence. <laughs> we've been built, bro. Um, <laughs> so, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, when you're black, you experience racism, but when you're white, you can only conceptualize it. And I think that's what you're saying. It's like you can only understand or like try and f- like create a frame of reference um, to be empathetic towards. Wait, is it empathetic or sympathetic? Um, But you will never know that feeling for yourself because reverse racism doesn't exist. And yeah, and you you exist outside the framework of race, right? Because race is built on the the baseline of whiteness. The the opposite of white the opposite of race is whiteness, isn't it? Because everyone else who is mm. like black or any or any other race is non-white that concept is built it's not white from yeah they're not white <laughs> so it's very difficult for you to frame racism within the concept of whiteness um so I think that's why like it is the responsibility of people we were all like I said we're all socialized to be racist but ultimately there are certain people that are socialized to be more racist and I think it is the responsibility of those people to understand how they both explicitly and implicitly partake in racism and not to deny that us like our experience of racism is not real because it's not a hate crime because I feel like that's where Mm. we're at like it's like Mm. it has to be a hate crime for you to believe that it's racism no, There's that's be just rights. That, yeah, exactly. It's got to be a riot. Somebody has to burn my house down. Somebody has to like, you know, hang something outside my house. It has to be a violent act. That's just the top end scale of racism. There's a whole ass broad dark scale of racism. Um, mm-hmm. And I was doing some reading into how you actually define microaggressions. And there's like three categories. There's like micro assaults, which are conscious and intentional actions or slurs. 
micro insults which can be verbal or non-verbal communications that subtly convey rudeness or insensitivity or basically aim to like demean somebody's racial heritage and then there's micro invalidations so any communication that um is there to like negate or nullify thoughts experiences or reality so that's like that's how broad like racism is and how um how it functions in society and i think yeah like i said it's just everybody's responsibility to do more work in understanding just because you're not out in the street holding a tiki torch <laughs> wearing a white hood <laughs> doesn't mean you're not racist i'm sorry and like more ascent do you see like one of the love island girls more ascent lucy like a bunch of flowers because like oh, for fuck's sake like and it's like we're not saying that she's the leader of the KKK. What she's what she did is racist, and she doesn't deserve for you to send her a bunch of flowers through the door mm. to make her feel better. She was mm. subconsciously racist. She might not have meant to be, but it's now her responsibility to take ownership for that and unlearn her behavior. Not for you to reward her for you know for that behavior and automatically jump in like oh, she's the victim. And I think it goes back to what Mel was saying about how come you one day is the one that's experienced racism and at the end of the day, there's still people trying to paint her as like the perpetrator and the bully and Lucy is the victim. Why are black women seen as like violent and like disruptive when white women are the most violent and disruptive? (laughs) Like... Was did Lucy not wake up that morning and choose violence? Did she or did she not? <laughs> she, no, do you know what she did? Because the worst thing was she didn't even get up with her chest and like record a YouTube video and cry. <laughs> she was in her own comments replying to somebody just subtly dropping that you one day was a bully. And to me, that's so insidious because it's like you're not getting up on a platform and saying I've been bullied you're planting like a tiny seed that will grow and grow and be passed around to people and that like that's how I think like all the times that I've had an issue and I've expressed myself that is how like the concept of like the angry black woman actually functions a lot of the Mm -hmm. time it's not somebody saying to you you're behaving like an angry black woman it's like you can tell people are whispering about it if you get you know you get rightfully so a bit irate or you are strongly um communicating your point of view you can see people's reactions people's voices and then before you know it hr will take you into a quiet room somewhere <laughs> that be like we're just getting a few complaints that you know when you express yourself you're just a little bit aggressive so i was just thinking to me that's what that was so reminiscent of like just planting that seed that she's a bully deep in the comments somewhere for other people to see and like the hate for her to mobilize playing devil's advocate here before anyone tries to come for the fact that I said you shouldn't negate how other people feel like Del said I feel like if Lucy was really actually getting bullied that's not the type of information that would have come out two years after or planted in comments that's something you speak up about because let's just say it happened you wouldn't just put it in a in a passing comment like you would talk about it and explain the situation as to what to happen what happened so then people can like have an open discussion about it but clearly from the way it was going it really wasn't so that's what i, I mean to i say. don't think so i feel like a lot of people internalize like bullying and they don't ever talk about it i feel like people di- like different people handle things in different ways but i see the point you're sure. trying to make 
um, like she wasn't. Yeah, she was just trying to shit stir, basically. Like, she was like, you can't was. just randomly just be like, cause the person was like, oh, I heard like uh, you one day wasn't nice to you. You can't just be in the comments like, yeah, she's a bully. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's not you like finding a way to experience a traumatic. Um, like experience of bullying that you've had you're just in the comments like trying to shit stir trying to label somebody and hope that that name that label gets spread right that's what she was trying to do mm. that label of a bully like that was at her workplace but that's I think something that most if not all black girls have experienced through every single layer of society mm. so at school if you're reacting to something even slightly get Melissa out of the room she's an angry <laughs> black girl <laughs> what I mean like I'm really gonna threaten like a 30 year old teacher like I just actually can't be bothered like there's literally so many experiences that I've had where I've been like someone else could be equally as angry angry but Mm -hmm. just because of the color of my skin or of another black girl's skin you just kind of get judged a million times more and Lucy as well from what she was saying what the bully thing I was reading up a bit on black women in reality tv and basically from the moment it was born, we've always been kind of shown as that angry black girl. And even Tyra mm. Banks' show, America's Next Top Model, there was always a black bitch in every single oh, series. Oh, my God. God. I, will so never, I will never forgive her for the way she screamed at Tiffany. Because Literally. do you remember that episode, that, like, meltdown the that one, she had? Yeah. I was like... Was that the one where she's like, we were all rooting for yeah, you. Yeah, we were all rooting for you. Um, when I watched it back, I was like, that's so messed up because you already know the tropes that she's fighting on American mm. TV as like a dark skinned young woman from like um, from like a disadvantaged, quote unquote, disadvantaged um, background within a predominantly black area in America. People are already going to racialize her. And then on top of that, you're going to scream at her, label her aggressive and stuff. So I just really felt like Ty- Tyra was just like selling our people down the river with that one watching it back mm. as an older person but you're right Mel it is like like bad girls club like mm. everything just like the disproportionate representation on on that show um it's really problematic it's literally a construct of reality tv did I read that tweet that you you one day wrote about being black on TV means not raising your voice. Um, I think it ties in quite nicely here, so I'm just going to read it. Um, so, yeah, she just tweeted, being black on TV means not raising your voice, not being too defensive because you don't want to create a- the narrative of being an angry black woman or being a bully. Um, and then the article that I'm reading it from, which is a Guap mag um, like blog, basically says that, this experience or being worried that you're being painted this way um, is specifically linked to like when you're voicing something that you have a problem with. And I think Mm -hmm. that's like something to kind of unpack because I feel like a lot of the time when people feel attacked or when they feel bullied, like quote unquote, it's to do with experience discomfort um, in what they're being faced with. If someone is telling you that like they don't feel comfortable if you're calling them a name that isn't their name, you're immediately confronted with your own like either racism or sexism and yeah. that is uncomfortable. So that like to me is how I kind of <laughs> conceptualize that whole thing. Um, what do you guys think? 
I agree with you, John. I think one of the most dangerous things about racial stereotypes is when um, they are used as a knee-jerk reaction to when people are called out for being racist or when people feel under threat. Like, they had it all with, like, what was that woman called who rang the, gu- rang the police in the park because she had an argument with the guy? Um, and obviously she couldn't deal... Um, this is in America. Was it, like, Amy something? And then they created that bill in policing... Um, they created a bill in the policing for like when people call up to make racially charged reports that are unfounded, essentially. Um, yeah, Amy Cooper, that's it. Yeah, the Central Park bird bird watching incident. There we go. So, obviously, like Dom's saying, in that in that situation, you have two people in an altercation. Obviously, he was communicating rightfully so, very clearly that she was in the wrong the minute she couldn't come back logically with an argument what does she do call the police and say there's an aggressive black man in the park he's screaming at me so the police come to arrest him and I think that is one of the most dangerous dangerous things about stereotypes is when they are used to protect whiteness Mm -hmm. but also to ensure black people experience harm because because people know that they can rely on a stereotype to be more believed um so, yeah, and it goes back to re- you one day reporting stuff, right? Like, oh, she's saying that this happened to me and people were like, well, you know, she was really moody on the show. Like the way she spoke was aggressive, blah, blah, blah. So I can believe that that's the sort of stuff that Lucy is relying on by calling her a bully, that people will invoke those racial stereotypes to believe her over you one day. Mm. That's like a coping mechanism or survival strategy in itself. Like that could have been what Yawando was doing. We don't know. Like just because someone doesn't want to talk to you doesn't mean they're not a nice person. They're just probably preserving their energy and protecting themselves. So definitely. And I think like we said, she was in a very uncomfortable space. Like, you know, Mm. reality TV in Britain as a black woman, there's not many other people of colour or black people on the show. You really think from the beginning she's going to be kikiing and feel like (laughs) she's Mm. at home. Like, I I think we can all relate that going into spaces that are very othering, that you're not going to feel comfortable to be yourself from the start. That isn't a reason for people to use that, like to build a narrative against you. It's true. Sometimes people will just make that assumption even when you just stand there. I remember when I was a teenager, someone who we ended up becoming friends, but they were like, yeah, when I first met you, I literally thought that you would literally just punch me in the face. And I was like, I was like, um, what did I what did I ever do to make you think that apart from just be brown? When I tell you, when I tell you <laughs> I didn't even think it was a racing because the girl who said it was Indian. So I was like, yeah, but Indian people <laughs> will still be racist. Yeah, we'll talk it's about. I think we should talk about intra racism at some point. Yeah, and colorism. Yeah, smell. I remember her saying that, and I was just like, the, my first thought was like, oh, what did I do? Like, oh, is it because like I have? Well, I, I feel like everyone has a rested bitch face. Let's be very honest. Like our yeah. muscles are not <laughs> relaxed. Muscles are not supposed to be like you know. Just want me to be smiling on the train, like. Yeah, so I was just like, so I was just. <laughs> I was just like my first thought was what did I do like I must have given off a vibe or I, my face must have looked a certain type of way that like I was angry and I was like I'll be honest with you half the time I think my face is like when I'm walking around but it's not clearly but I think it is but it's that's maybe what I'm thinking in my head but you know and I just 
I just as I got older I just thought to myself I was like, why did you always assume it was something that you did because mm. sometimes people will just look at you and think a certain type of way and kind of keep it moving you know but if you felt that yes. way sounds like a you problem mate yeah <laughs> that's the thing it's like it de- it destabilizes you it makes you think what did I do how mm-hmm. like but at the end of the day you don't have control over the way that other people perceive you no, and that's you not don't. your responsibility to internalize and act accordingly like you should just be able to be yourself unfortunately yeah. we live in a society that is like not conducive to that being like no, a freedom no. but Mm-mm. like how can you just overthink <laughs> just sitting and being like being yeah and I th- I know and I think that's such a good point because like the, I think the last thing is just like there is like there's the myth of like the good black person it doesn't matter mm. how like placid you are how great you are how articulate you are what you contribute to society if, if people are racist they're gonna be racist so mm. let's all stop stressing as black people about how we have to behave so that we're perceived as better because people are going to be racist regardless and you're just going to be chasing a dream that doesn't exist um it's on other people to recognize when they are being racist and to stop using racism to their advantage which lucy was pretty much doing so my only closing statement is we need to get more comfortable calling out racism that it's not explicit just because you don't think it's level of a hate crime and also say my name say my name <laughs> <laughs> literally do that video where Beyonce gives that guy the mic in the crowd you my cousin I'm your husband I took your name it's very hard to admit when these things affect you in a certain type of way and I can only imagine in your one day's um situation you have to do it to such a wide audience and having so many Mm. people judge you um, it just being put on blast so I just think we need to have a lot more grace for people um, and just really think about like the words we say it shouldn't be about like oh you don't know what people are going through it's just be nice guys and then we uh, now have Mel's uh, closing quote oh yeah my closing Hello. quote is from Nicole Vassell as society begins to reconcile the idea of transformation from the ground up it is easy to focus on the most obvious signs of racism but if we're to really address the deep-rooted nature, we cannot overlook the micro-events that play out against the background of extreme racial violence, the daily aggressions that mount up and change the lives of black people forever, and also people of colour, just as a little, my little add-in. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We publish episodes every second Thursday. You can follow us on Spotify and find us on Instagram at diaspora underscore collective and on our Twitter at diaspora Pod, where you can find our follow-up resource roadmaps for each episode and other posts related to issues close to our heart. Thank you for listening.